know, I have tried over the years to write work that that exposes me less, you know, and it's just like that's not what I that's not what I'm here to do. Welcome to the book I had to write. I'm Paul Zakshevsky. This is the show where I feature critically acclaimed writers who tell me all about the stories they just had to get out into the world. We talk about where authors get stuck and how they succeed, whether it's about mindset stuff or craft issues or just how to navigate the changing landscape of publishing. This show covers everything you need to know about how to start and finish your own writing project. There's a generation of nonfiction writer. Here I'm thinking of guys like Norman Mailer or George Plimpton who are famous for exploring themes like pain and violence. They produce some memorable books along the way, but they also tended to use those subjects to shore up their masculinity in unconscious ways. By contrast, today's guest writes about pain and violence, but she does it as a means of self-discovery. She goes to some pretty extreme places, but she does so in order to figure out her real self. Margot Steinis spent her teens and 20s in New York as both a pro-dom, a professional dominatrix, and as a welder on a high-rise building crew. She's been obsessed with MMA fighting, and she's struggled with drug use, a chronic illness, infertility, and exercise addiction. Margot pulls all these subjects together in her new book called Brutalities, and she braids these essays that mix memoir, essay, cultural criticism, and reporting in a way that I think makes her really compelling and an important new writer. In addition to her book Brutalities, Margot's essays have also appeared in The Sun, Slate, Brevity, The New York Times, and elsewhere. She teaches at the University of Arizona's writing program. In this episode, we also talk a lot about the challenges of self-exposure, finding confidence in your writing, and how to write about the tough stuff without re-traumatizing yourself. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, welcome, Margot. Um, I'm really thrilled that you're here on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I wanted to begin the interview um, by asking this question now that I like to ask all my guests, which is why was this book, this uh, memoir and essays, Brutalities, why was this the book you had to write? You know, I tried to write a different book before this that was a much more traditional narrative memoir. And I needed something a little weirder formally. There were, I was trying to do too many things um, and it didn't fit in into a, like a traditional narrative structure. And I had all these different ideas that I wanted to write about and I knew that they were in conversation with each other. And as I was working on them, you know, I was thinking maybe I would write an essay collection and then I wanted the conversation between the different ideas to be a little more explicit. And, you know, in terms of the material, I have always been compelled to sort of share the parts of my experience that were sort of trained by culture not to talk about, um, which is a harrowing way to live. <laughs> but it's something I've sort of accepted about myself as an artist. It's great. I feel like you're looking over my shoulder at the questions because you're mentioning things that I want to kind of pick back up a little later in the interview. But first, I, w I wanted to ask you about the author's note at the beginning, which felt a little more substantial than, you know, similar author notes in memoirs. 
And I felt like kind of amounted to this, like I'll call it like a mini philosophy of memoiring or essaying. And um, I mean, at one point you talk about the fact that you don't do composite characters and you compress time. And I think you also say that, you know, memory is not a recording device. I wanted to ask you if you could talk to me a bit about what that, what does that commitment to truth look like for you? What's the line when you're, when you're writing? Yeah, I mean, I think for my own practice, I have a pretty hard line. Um, I don't necessarily apply that outward to other people's work. But for me, so many of the experiences I'm writing about are so fundamentally subjective and often happen with one maximum two people there. So they can't be sort of fact-checked in a robust way. So it feels like there are so many concessions away from objective truth that are just inherent to this kind of work. So I don't want to make any more that I can. I want to, everything that I am in control of, I want to hew as close to what actually happened as I'm able. I sort of came up in like the James Frey era of, (laughs) you know, like, like truth panic, I guess is what I would call it. And this idea that we are beholden to a, not even a journalistic standard, but like a standard of truth that is not attainable by any human practice. And I struggle with that. You know, I struggle with that as someone who wants to write about not only myself, but other people who I experienced, who I know have different experiences of the things that we did together. And for a long time, I felt like I wasn't allowed to sort of tell my story because it wasn't, because I couldn't prove that it was congruent with everyone else's. And I just don't believe that anymore. Like, I believe that it, as long as one, me, is um, is like really earnestly making an effort toward both both subjective and objective truth. Like, that's all we can do, right? We're all just edging towards it. And the idea that any person has represented the truth perfectly is, I think, false. What do you feel like helped you tip over you know, maybe away from kind of journalistic, a journalistic standard of, of objectivity to feeling like um, ownership over your own story? What was there a particular event or just getting older? Um, I think it was two things. I mean, first, I got some more hard skills as a researcher, and I became more confident in my ability to fact check to research. Um, and so I sort of feel at this point that I'm doing as good a job as I can do with skills that I have, you know, worked hard to accumulate. Um, And I think that's sort of the contract with the reader for me is like, I'm not being vague. I'm not half-assing it. I am doing my absolute best to represent the truth with the embedded knowledge that like it is a fundamentally impossible project for anyone. So there's that. And then also, you know, I had written the project that I mentioned before this one, I think I just needed to get all of that stuff out, which was really, I think, in retrospect, an effort at um, just seeing everything that I had done. And I couldn't try to represent it in a more literary way until I had just gotten the story out. And once I did that, you know, I was a lot clearer on what was there. One thing that this um, book is about a main thing that it's about, I feel like, is just reconsidering your relationship to um, several, I guess I'll call them extreme experiences, to pain. 
and you know things like being a welder on a, on a high-rise crew, an extreme fitness devotee, being a sex worker, an MMA enthusiast, etc. And I feel like you're writing a lot, at least the way I understood it, in terms of how to understand the interest in uh, tolerating pain as a way of understanding the self or, or figuring out the self. Does that resonate for you? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see that, that interest? How, where is it at today? How has it changed maybe as by, through the writing of this book? Um, I mean, I think I have a much more um, intricate understanding of all of the things that I've done and felt compelled to do in my life. And I think definitely writing the book helped me understand that they were all really the same thing, you know, looking very different from the outside. And I think it also did help me in some ways. I think doing that, like, like having that understanding I feel less compelled to do things like that. <laughs> right. um, and like part of that also is like I'm 41 years old and I have a child and I'm, you know, in much better mental health than I have previously been. Um, so I can't necessarily attribute all of it to the book, but I can sort of see myself now. Like when I want to do something weird, like it feels very clear that I'm doing the thing, you know? So do you feel like almost like writing helped externalize it or, or make it uh, clearer to you? Yeah. And, you know, it did the thing that writing always does for me, which is like once I tell the truth on the page, I can't redact it to myself anymore. So I love this essay, Sick Gains. And the essay is about a lot of things, including kind of, an, uh, I guess, an obsession with physical exercise, running, lifting, CrossFit, etc. You start the essay by noting, I think that you ran something like over 100 miles on a broken heel. And the thing I was really interested in is how you thread the needle between kind of working your way through this external set of interests and kind of um, deepening it or going through the emotional journey of what these interests, like why they're happening or what, what you think your part in them is. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk about how you found your way to strike a balance between the, you know, the external interests and that emotional journey. And that, that would be true of, of all the essays. Really. Yeah, I mean, that is the balance for me of the kind of work that I want to do is like, I guess what I think of as like story writing and then idea writing. And as I have, I don't know, I don't know if grown is the right word, but like as I have moved through my life as a reader and a writer, I'm much more interested in idea writing. I used to really be compelled by story only. And now I, I want to like lift up the hood um, in all ways. And, but, and yet at the same time, like I love story and it feels like the vehicle um, through which to approach ideas, right? So like that is what, it's what I wanted to do in my book, but it's also just like the way that I think and the only way I know how to understand anything. So each of the different, I mean, definitely that, um, you know, like I think that those essays are in some ways the ones that are most explicitly about my body because it's really, um, it's just me, you know, there's no other actor there, which is um, unique to those sections. And that was the way that I knew how to understand what was happening there and how to explain it to someone else who, you know, from the outside looking in, I looked like a healthy person, <laughs> you know? So it was, and like, even like if you explain a little bit of like most people in my life at that time, other than people who were very close to me thought I was probably one of the healthiest people they knew. And like the truth was, you know, not that, um, and so sort of pulling back the curtain on 
ideas about health and wellness and then this very American attachment of labor to virtue that I think is embedded in all of that. Um, like that was so interesting to me. I didn't want to just like write an essay about lifting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I guess on the heels of that, I, I want to ask, so I just interviewed this other wonderful writer, Janine Olette, and she also teaches and she has uh, this essay, something like 11 possibly helpful tips, you know, she um, came up with after reading like thousands of manuscripts. And one of the things that she says she keeps seeing as a problem for writers is um, what she calls exteriority. So people getting kind of lost in the thickets of their thinking and not being external. And I feel like your work is kind of like an amazing example of exteriority. Like you really focus on the outer world. I'm wondering if, was that something that you honed in your writing or do you feel like it just kind of comes naturally to you? Um, no, it's definitely something I worked hard on. The interiority is much more intuitive to me. And, um, you know, I started writing, I had taken some classes when I was young, when I tried to go to college, but I like mostly started writing before I had any instruction and I didn't know how to do anything. Right. I knew how to write about how I felt and my experience, but I didn't know how to write a scene and I didn't really understand like the place of the scene in nonfiction. Um, so that was something that I, I like I definitely have tried to move the needle to make my work more narrative and and more I don't know what the word is exactly but like something that you could see happening. Do you have tips for other writers who struggle in this in this area? Well, I mean, I remember when I was in my MFA, one of my professors, Andrew Munson, told us that I can't remember what award he was talking about. It was like not the NEA, but like something very substantial. And he was saying that out of all the people who had won it in the past couple of years, like all the work was narrative in, in the nonfiction category. You know, his point was that like people like narrative, people want to read story, people are pulled in by it. Um, it's propulsive, it's engaging. And we were a room full of people who were like at great danger of doing something very pretentious that didn't include <laughs> any narrative. <laughs> and like speaking for myself. Yeah. Um, so... Like, I really heard that, you know, that like story isn't something that it's something valuable and it's something that we don't need to think of as detracting from the sort of intricacy of an idea's exploration, that it's actually like the way into an idea and the way to, to carry someone through the things that you want to think through on the page. Um, and in terms of like how to actually do it, I mean, for me, once I sort of accepted that I should write some scenes like they came relatively easily because to me it's you're just describing what happened but the more the more you read the better you'll write for sure that's not an original statement in 2016 i was living in honolulu and i ran so many miles that my heel bone cleaved I had just started a run when I felt it, a loud hot twinge in my right foot, as if a piece of cherry red steel was slicing through me from ankle to sole. When I was honest with myself, and it took several days before I was able to be so, I admitted that I had felt this pain for weeks, perhaps months, just quieter, soft enough to ignore. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but just your willingness to kind of put out there, you know, a lot of topics that would be, I think, other people would struggle with writing about. And so I'm wondering if you, 
as you were writing this book or thinking about publishing it, if you had to kind of renegotiate your tolerance for exposure, self-exposure for that kind of risk? What does that look like for you? I mean, it is just a mess to live like this, to be (laughs) honest with you. Uh I have, this is just the work I have always wanted to do. And I guess I've always sort of accepted with this like grim resignation that the cost of it is just feeling very personally exposed in, you know, escalating levels of publicness. And for me, the cost is worth it. Like, this is the work I want to do. You know, I have tried over the years to write work that that exposes me less, you know, and it's just like, that's not what I, that's not what I'm here to do. So, you know, as I make work, I try to just never think about anyone reading it. And that helps. And then, you know, I remember, I think it was Melissa Fibo said, which comforts me so much, like, no one is ever going to pull your work out of your hand and publish it in a flash you know like and the glacial pace of publishing gives you a lot of opportunities to say like oh never mind which is not a choice that I've made but you know the opportunity has been there so that helps but you know yeah I I have just sort of accepted that that this is this is me I guess on the flip side of that what is your sense in terms of publishing about other people in your life which I know is another is the, the flip side and also a huge issue for memoir and essay writers. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's no way to make the work I want to make without writing about my relationships. Like, that's what I'm most interested in. And there is a friction for sure between wanting to care for people, preserve their privacy, and then wanting to do this work. And, you know, there is a part of me, a large part of me that believes in like my fundamental right to represent my own experience Um, and not like mine over anyone else's but like all of ours I have a lot of like firmly held values about the harms of privacy I think I think like keeping things secret feels like an incubator for shame to me but then to you know say I will project those values onto someone else is like it's a lot Um, so you know I do my best to take care and, you know, it's sort of different based on the person. I wrote about my partner a lot in this book, and he was really involved in all of the research I did, and he saw all the work as I was making it, and it wasn't a question of asking his permission exactly, but I would not have made the same book without his, you know, full-throated support. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people, you know, friends who are in the book in a more incidental way, like I definitely ran sections by folks and asked if I wanted their, you know, wanted, if they wanted me to change their name, like to change a first name is not, that's like nothing to me that that doesn't feel like a deviation from anything. Right. And then, you know, like the person who you're probably actually asking is my former partner. And so for listeners who might not be familiar with your work, you write a lot about a former partner named Dean, right, which is like not his real name. And there was no way to write about my life without writing about him. I, you know, was involved with him for 15 years. It was very formative. It was very harmful. It really shaped me as a person. And I don't wish harm. I don't wish to cause him harm or embarrassment or discomfort. But I also, like, I will not be silent about the experiences that I had. Was that some, out of curiosity, was that something that the publisher had to also, I know that legal departments and stuff get involved with, or it doesn't really, does it get that far for memoir writers these days? Yeah, yeah. I had a lawyer, um, Norton had a lawyer read it, and we talked about some parts and made some minor adjustments that I was okay with. And, 
you know, it was always my intention to, to anonymize his name. So you, first of all, you mentioned that this book came out of a, an earlier book that you had worked on that I understand is kind of more of a conventional memoir. I think that's how I saw you describe it. What, what was that book like? Like, tell me more about that book and, and what, what were its limitations for you? Um, so that book, it was the first thing that I had really written. I had written like an essay before that. And then I was like, I, I had been waiting to write for like decades. And when I started, <laughs> I was like ready. Um, and so it was about, it was a very, you know, as you said, conventional memoir about the years I spent working as a professional dominatrix and then the overlapping years I spent working as a welder, iron worker. I wanted to write something about masculinity and these very specific ways that I had been able to see men, which felt in some ways unique, like these twinned vantage points that I had been afforded by those experiences. And then I didn't really know how to write as much as I do now. So I, I really ended up just writing sort of like a story of the experiences I had had. And it was like, you know, I don't want to throw the book under the bus. Like it was not a bad book. I mean, I had a wonderful agent, um, you know, at a great place. We worked on it for a lot of years. She gave me a lot of editorial support. It went on submission. Um, like it could have been a book. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful now that it wasn't my first book because I think that it was like riding on content a lot in a way that is not interesting to me anymore. And I absolutely needed to write it. Like I regret no, none of the time I spent on it, but it was a sort of warm up, if you will, for the book that, that I really wanted to start with. And what did you find most difficult then about writing this book? What were the parts that, if you'll forgive a pun, what were the pain points for this book? And, and kind of how did you find your way through those? Do you mean on a craft perspective or like emotionally? Well, let's start with craft first. I mean, for the hardest part of the craft was how to hang the whole thing together. Um, and I had written a lot of the essays as standalone essays. And I knew that they lived together in some ecosystem, but I did not know how to sort of make the architecture of it. And I had never worked on a project like that big and that complicated before. So it was everything I was trying to do was like the first time I was trying to do it and like how to order them and, you know, the ways that, you know, the order was like ended up being very, very important and it took me a long time to muddle through. So that was probably the hardest thing craft wise. But, you know, maybe surprisingly in terms of process, the parts that were the hardest to write were actually the um, the memoir interstitial pieces about my partner, the like very tender pieces. And then what did you struggle with, um, I guess, emotionally in terms of, you know, what were the difficult or the challenges in, and, and how were they different maybe from the first book that you wrote? You know, I, I don't know if it's like psychological damage or a talent <laughs> or what, but I can write about the most fucked up stuff that has happened to me and just like, it affects me zero in the day to my current level of perception. Like maybe I'm doing like terrible damage to myself that is yet to be revealed, but I don't, you know, I know a lot of people that need to do a lot of processing and it's, they have a, get a very heavy feeling and that is not my experience, but trying to write the more, you know, concurrent to my life sections that were very soft and tender, like that did, it felt like it like broke me open in a certain way. I noted that you're also, of course, a, a, not just a writer, but you teach memoir and essay, essay specifically. And in one of your course descriptions, I saw uh, this description. The braided essay is a hybrid of memoir, essay, cultural criticism, and immersion journalism. And 
that feels like a great description for the pieces and brutalities. I'm wondering if you could first just explain for folks who might not know what a braided essay is, and then how do you how did you find your way to the genre? Yeah, so I mean, a braided essay is you know broadly is a form of what I call idea nonfiction, where um, multiple strands are brought together, and sometimes they're very close to each other and sometimes they're completely disparate um, to create resonance between the ideas, themes, or sort of angles of approach. Um, And I have always written a braided essay. I just didn't know there was a word for it Mm -hmm. until I started reading other stuff. And I was like, oh, this is a thing I'm doing. It is the way to write that makes sense for me. And that kind of associative logic that takes you from one idea to another, you know, on its face unrelated idea that is actually deeply related is like, it was surprising to me that anyone's brain didn't work that way (laughs) (laughs) is like how, how deeply embedded it is for me. I'm also probably some version of undiagnosed neurodivergent is like the other part of that. And I have like a certain way of focus that um, skips around a lot. And I think that really informs that kind of thinking and writing. So in a sense, you found a genre that really feels natural for you that that kind of mimics the way yeah. that you would ordinarily think anyway. So yeah, that that seemed really clear. Yeah. Did did the way that you write the braid the braided essays did that evolve at all as you were working on the book? Yeah, I mean, I'm now able to sort of plot out an essay that I want to write and be like these are the ideas I want to include whereas before I would just kind of start and like I didn't know what was going to happen and then the essay would be like, I would have no idea where the essay was going to go, which is kind of fun and thrilling. And then also you can never work on assignment that way. Yeah. And it's hard to craft a book like that because then you just have 10 random things, which sometimes is awesome and often is chaotic. So I do now I can say, you know, I have these five ideas and I want to bring them together and I can, I'm I'm still not like an outline writer, but like I can know what's going to mostly go in. I guess I might have asked this earlier, but it's just popping in my head now, which is what was it like to kind of get a center of gravity or a through line for, you know, because obviously a collection of essays by definition are they're disparate um, objects, disparate pieces. What did that look like? When did you when how did you kind of land on brutalities as kind of a concept or a through line for yourself? Um, I mean, I knew the concept before I even started, and I had actually worked on some of the essays like a couple years before I came to my MFA and I even, I had the title. It was like another project that I'd used like a sort of, I don't know what it was. I was in school and trying to write something and I knew that's what I wanted to write about was like this idea of these fucked up things we do to our bodies and then Mm -hmm. these cultures and narratives that, and identities that form around them. But I didn't really have enough self-awareness to understand that my entire life had been <laughs> like wow. a version of this. You yeah. know, I thought it was like, I knew, you know, the S&M had been a version of that and my relationship, which encompassed that and also some less consensual brutalities. Um, and I knew in some way that like my work as a welder had something to do with it, but I had no idea that, you know, 
and I, you know, I didn't even have a chronic illness yet. So like that hadn't been a thing. Um, but that my relationship to exercise and like the eating disorders I had had when I was younger and, um, you know, my relationship to beauty and commodity and just all of that, that they were all circling the same core themes. I did not realize really until I had probably four or five essays and then it started to make sense. You run this course called Finding Confidence in the Braided Essay, and you talk about, quote, telling the truth about ourselves, which can be super challenging, or how self-doubt and self-censorship can creep in, and the key you write is finding agency. And I, I love that, and I'm wondering how you help writers find agency I guess how did you find that in yourself and then how do you help people do that um I mean most of my work as a teacher honestly is sharing experience I'm not like I I, I'm very wary of prescriptive writing advice especially in creative writing the way I understand how to help a writer grow is like they already have all the resources they need inside of them and what I can offer is hard skills um that you know anything that you can receive through the sort of like banking model of receiving you know education or information and then they get to borrow my belief in the power of their own convictions and then by the time I'm done with them ideally like their own is strong enough which is what happened for me like I had mentorship I remember my mentor Shauna Ryan told me I was so anxious about my identity as a writer and just being a creative and like I was like in this graduate writing class and I wouldn't call myself a writer. I was like, I'm just kind of here. Like I was just so fucking weird and it wasn't serving anything and it was completely self-obsessed and I didn't see that. And I remember she said like, you will have this anxiety until it doesn't serve you anymore and then it'll go away. Mm. And I was like, whatever. And then she was so right. And I just, I don't have any of it anymore. That's not there. And so I try to offer that experience to my students. I love that. That's a great line. Yeah. I know that you are going to be appearing in a panel next year at the AWP conference, the Associated Writing Programs Conference. And I think the title is something like How to Write About Trauma Without Retraumatizing Yourself. Yeah. How, how do you do that? <laughs> um, well, I go to therapy. <laughs> that helps. I do a specific kind of trauma therapy. It's, uh, it's called somatic experiencing. Yeah. And it's very much about noticing and reprogramming your body experience, like from a, you know, it has a lot of basis in neurology, which, you know, I'm a born and raised New Yorker. So like I've been in therapy since I was 11, but like all talk therapy, which for me has been like valuable, but has a limit. So, you know, finding a way towards healing my relationship with my body, which is such a hackneyed phrase, but like actually I think in this space, like really means something, something concrete. That's been, that's been big. And it's allowed me to um, have some behavioral space from like the chaotic way I used to live that allows me to just like see it more clearly. Um, And then I think a lot of it really is about paying good attention to yourself and working towards unpacking these ideas of like, labor and suffering from the idea of a creative practice like that stuff is really embedded and I think a lot of it is just like comes from capitalism and it's hard to let go of this idea that if I like work hard enough and like if it feels bad in some way that that's valuable I'm not interested in that anymore so Margot if folks want to find you online where should they go I have a website at margostinus.com and then I also have an Instagram at Red State Blues. And then I have a Twitter that's just my name, Margo Steinus. You're still on Twitter. 
I'm still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Right? I don't know where else to go because like everyone's going to all these different places and I cannot maintain. I was a late adopter to like all social media and I finally learned how to use like two things. I can't learn. I'm 41. I can't learn a new thing. It's, it's too late for me. Uh, I'm older than you and I really feel that. <laughs> Margo, I want to thank you so much for the conversation. I've learned a lot and I, I really appreciated your time. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so lovely. You've been listening to my interview with essayist Margot Steinus. I'm Paul Zakshevsky. If you've enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in Apple Podcasts. I'm always grateful for reviews and for sharing the show with friends. To get show notes and a transcript delivered to your inbox, please subscribe to my newsletter, The Book I Want to Write. It's at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. Every week, I also publish short essays about writing mindset, developments in publishing, and more. If you're working on your own book you have to write, or you want to get started, maybe I can help. Find out more about me and my book coaching at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. That's bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you.